Uh, we're in the middle of a series. I know it's Disciple Now weekend, but we're in the middle of a series called Your Questions, His Answers. And I made a commitment last week to address a certain issue that I really feel compelled to address. And that question is, Does did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? So that's the theological question of the day. Thursday, I got to work and I found taped to my door a belly button duster. I'm not making, I promise, it was taped there. The staff, Kyle and them will verify. It says, has your belly button lost its luster? Try our belly button duster. <laughs> and it says on there for Eve. Well, now this is, I can't theologically prove my point. I'll just tell you from the standpoint of Philipsology, Eve didn't need it because she didn't have a belly button. Because she wasn't born, she was created, she was fashioned by God, and Adam definitely didn't have a belly button. So if you need a belly button duster, we could probably work something out. But uh, So anyway, theologically, that, that's just my opinion. I can't tell you, yeah, the Bible says they did or didn't have belly buttons, but here's what I would say. God designs us just for what he's planned for us, and he doesn't waste stuff. And so I think if they needed one, they would have had one. They didn't need it, so they probably didn't have it. But I want to deal with a more important, more significant question, I think, uh, than that this morning. I wanted, I got an email a couple weeks into the series, and um, the lady was asking about uh, our youth in this culture. And she, uh, she had three questions. She said, why are so many Christian college students turning away from their faith? She said, are today's young Christians, and I think she meant young people as well as young believers, Truly prepared to defend their faith in an anti-Christian culture. And is it appropriate to recognize God in public schools and colleges? Now, I can't deal with all those questions this morning. But I do want to deal with one question that I think encompasses all of that. And we may get uh, some more on it next week. But the question is, are, are we equipping our young people and our young believers to succeed in a culture uh, that is in crisis? Are we preparing them? Are we equipping them? Are we teaching them what they need to know? Are we teaching ourselves what we need to know to be able to flourish when we go out there, those doors into a culture that is in crisis mode, into a postmodern, post-Christian culture? Are we equipping and preparing? And in order for us to do that, there's a, there's a mindset change that needs to happen. And... Uh, We'll look at Genesis chapter 45 in just a moment. Before we do, let me just tell you a quick story. Uh, four or five years ago, we were in Myrtle Beach on a golf retreat. We were part of a men's retreat, and we were down there playing golf, and we were playing along. I don't remember what hole we was on. We'd just seen an alligator, and that really wasn't a big deal. But we're standing on the tee box. There's a pond over here, and somebody says, there's the bald eagle. And about that time, this eagle, this bald eagle, which you don't see often, comes down and snatches a fish uh, from the edge of the pond, and off it went with its supper. It was just amazing to see this eagle in action. Uh, it's quite different than, than many of the other birds. And so uh, later on, I got to looking and reading some stuff about uh, bald eagles. And I don't know if I found it in a, a message I was reading. But they, talk of, they were talking about how the bald eagle, how the mother eagle prepares its young for life. And, you know, they build a big nest and uh, they make it cozy and they make it comfortable. When the eaglets are hatched and they begin to grow and develop, and the closer they get to the age to fly, uh, or once they get uh, close to the age to fly, evidently the mother eagle somehow puts these eaglets on her back and takes them out for a test run and just shows them what it's like to fly. 
And then, uh, based on what I read, she comes back and begins to make the nest uncomfortable, taking all the fluff and down and grass and all the smooth stuff out to make it kind of uncomfortable in the nest. And things go on for a few days, and she takes them out to fly. And you'd think, well, they've figured out it's rough in here, it's better out there. But she says, but they said ultimately the eagle just pretty much destroys the nest so there's no place to come back, puts the eaglets on her back, and off they go into the wild blue yonder and dumps them off, and they're on their own. And they said inevitably most of them fly, but there's usually, sometimes there's one that doesn't get it. And said the mother eagle, the scientists say the mother eagle would swoop down and rescue the baby or the little eagle. But there was no nest to go back to, so she would take it back up. And according to this reading, as many as 40 times she would take that little eagle up until it realized my destiny is here, not there. And it's amazing as I read that, as I thought about that, it's amazing what a mother eagle is willing to do to prepare her little ones for their destiny. And as I thought about the culture that our kids and and our children and our grandchildren and even that we are living in, the question I'm wrestling with is what are we doing to equip the next generation to succeed uh, in the culture and where they live? What are we doing as parents? What are we doing as church leaders? What are we doing as grandparents. And so let's look at a passage of scripture. Uh, and time won't allow us to go into great detail. But I want to introduce you to a young man that was fully equipped to fulfill his destiny. Uh, his name was Joseph. You know his story. He was uh, betrayed by his brothers. He was uh, kidnapped, sold into slavery, spent a couple years in Potiphar's house. Uh, she tried, Potiphar's wife tried to... Um, Seduce him, he wouldn't do it. She accused him of rape. He went to jail. He stayed in jail. He helped some guys get out of jail. He stayed in jail year after year after year. Eventually, uh, he got out of jail uh, because he could interpret dreams. He wound up in Pharaoh's castle, seven years of plenty. Then there were two years of, of uh, difficulty, and that leads us to the point where he's about to reveal himself to his brothers or he's just revealed himself to his brothers. And I want to share four verses because there's a tremendous principle that we need to understand here. Uh, Genesis 45. Why don't we stand together and honor the Lord's word, beginning in verse 4. Uh, now, I know that's the cliff notes to the story, but we, most of us know it. If not, uh, I encourage you to read about it. 45, verse 4. Then Joseph, remember he's just revealed himself. Then he said to his brothers, come close to me. Come up here close. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. You know they were scared to death. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And for 20-odd years, he's been waiting his time. They're a little nervous, but he says, Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. Listen to this statement that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there have been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives with a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh 
Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Father, would you bless the reading of your word. Teach us this morning what we need to know so we'll be ready to fulfill your destiny and your plan for our life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to share with you this morning on this subject of destiny. And I really want to talk, obviously I'm talking to all of us because we all have a destiny. I'm talking to students particularly because many of them have yet to discover theirs as some of us. But I also want to speak to the adults, grandparents, parents, and leaders of student and children. I looked up destiny in the dictionary, and it wasn't really a uh, Webster's, but a set that I had at my house. And there were two definitions. One is the power of fate, and other one's predetermined lot. Now, as believers in Christ, we do not buy into the idea of fate uh, or happenstance or circumstance that things just kind of happen arbitrarily or by chance. We don't... Um, we just don't, that's not part of our theology and should not be part of our belief system because we believe in the sovereign God who uh, is in the heavens, the Bible says, doing whatever he pleases. Our God is sovereign, he's on the throne, and he's in control. Now, we live in a culture, conversely, that really does often believe in faith. Uh, a few years ago, I took, uh, for a birthday lunch, we took one of our staff members to a Chinese place in Georgia called P.F. Chang's. Uh, and if you like Chinese, you can have my part, but because you know that's not my thing. But what the interesting thing was, when you get done with your meal, they bring you a fortune cookie. And like any good Baptist, I went ahead and broke it and ate it, and, and read what was on the paper. Now I don't know what was. I don't even remember what it was. But I remember thinking, you know, there are people that actually read this stuff and think it's significant, just like there are people that read their horoscopes and think, you know, there are people that religiously get up every day and they read their horoscope. And they think, well, you know, this is, this is my lot. This is faith. And scripturally, there's no basis for that. In fact, as a believer in Christ, we have no rhyme or reason to believe in chance, to read the horoscopes or, or anything else. And you may say, well, that's no big deal. Well, scripture clearly forbids divination, sorcery, all kind of consulting mediums and all this astrology and all this stuff. God says, don't mess with that. It's dangerous. In fact, Joseph was sold into a culture where that was the, was the rule more than the exception. But we don't, but he under, even though he was in a culture like that, he understood that his life wasn't based on faith. In fact, he understood that his life was predetermined by the sovereignty of God. If you notice again there in, uh, in verse 5, what, notice how he says that. In verse, he says, he says, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then in verse 6, he says, for two years now there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will not be plowing, but God sent me ahead of you. And then in verse 8, he says, so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. In other words, what, what Joseph understood, this is, this is huge and you and I need to understand. Joseph understood that God determined his destiny. God determined his destiny. And you and I need to understand that it is God who determines our destiny. That is a scriptural model. You see it over and over and over in the lives of people, that God is the one who determines destiny. Now, when we talk about destiny, I may interchange that word with God's purpose. Even though we may use the same word or I may use it in the context of the message, 
They're not the same because purpose, God's purpose is that we come to know Christ, that we honor and glorify Him with our life. That's true of all of us. But God's destiny for you is different than God's destiny for you. And that's different than God's destiny for me. God has a plan, a specific destiny and plan for your life that is unique to you. And we see that all through Scripture. I mean, if you look in the life of Moses, I mean, just think about how God sovereignly controlled Moses' life. Do you remember the story of Moses when he was a baby? His mother put him in a basket and set him afloat on the river. And how, of all people, Pharaoh's daughter saw him, took him, while Pharaoh was trying to kill the person born to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, he killed all of them except the one. And God in his sovereign plan put Moses in Pharaoh's house and gave him all the education he needed and everything he needed so God could use him. But if you follow that along, you'll find out that God had a destiny for Moses. And you can look at that. You can look in Gideon's life and Samson's life and David's life and Samuel's life and on and on and on. And here's what I'm saying. God determines your destiny. And students, you need to understand. Adults, we need to understand. Moms and dads, we need to understand that it is God who determines our destiny. God decides. We see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. We won't even go into detail. But if you remember, when Stephen was stoned at the beginning, at the end of Acts chapter 7, the beginning of Acts chapter 8, Paul's standing there. They're they're outside the city in probably a pit, and there's Stephen, and here's all this crowd throwing these huge rocks at him. Before they threw their rocks, they laid their overcoats at Saul's feet. And he was given approval to what was happening. And just a chapter and a half later, we find that God speaks to him on the Damascus road because God has a plan for his life. In fact, when, when God, after God speaks to Saul and he sends Ananias to get him, listen to what uh, Ananias had to say or what God had to say. He said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Saul had a destiny. God had planned his life. And he had something he wanted to do. And you need to understand, you've got to get this. God has determined your destiny. It's not... Uh, Growing up as a teenager in Williston, Florida, the last thing in the world I wanted to be was a preacher. I didn't give it a thought till I was a junior in high school or between semesters of high school, junior and senior year. I ran away from that. I gave it a thought in college. I ran away from it until I couldn't run anymore. I mean, it's the last thing I wanted to do. And some of you are saying, you're thinking, well, I, maybe, what if I don't want to do what God has called me to do? Well, I'll just tell you, I didn't either. That doesn't really matter. Because you know what the Bible says? As a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So we don't really get to decide what God's plan for our life is. It's not really our choice. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.15, look, look at this verse. It says, and he died. This is huge. He died for all that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. In other words, the reason, we always say, well, Jesus died so I could go to heaven. Well, yeah, but not really. Jesus died so we could live for him. 
That's what the scripture says. He died so he could have priority and primacy in first place in our life. That's why he died. Jesus didn't die for a fire insurance policy. He's not just some afterthought, man, hey, if you just believe in me, you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. Now go live it up and do whatever you want. No, no, no. We don't get to choose our destiny. God has. But a lot of us as parents, we encourage our kids, oh, what do you want to be? What do you want to grow up to be? You need to be thinking about what you want to become. And we, we talk about and we encourage them to think about what they're becoming. Or maybe, maybe we've already decided what our kids should be. I mean, some people have decided their kids are going to play, uh, they're going to play in the NFL. They're going to play college sports. Or they're going to be in the arts. Or they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a Rhodes Scholar. And we make these decisions and we kind of decide what we think our kids need to be. And we decide what we think our kids need to do. And so we program their life like that. And if you don't believe that's true, just look around when you go to the ball field at these parents and these six, seven, eight-year-old kids. Y'all don't laugh about it because y'all are in the middle of it. But the first service laughed about that because it's true. I mean, my kid played t-ball. T-ball. And these guys are worried about winning the championship for T-ball. They're five. Five. And some, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are living what I'm talking about. I mean, there's people that are yelling and screaming and cussing at these nine-year-old kids because they think the end of the world if they don't win. Really? And we want, we think, man, this is what my kid needs to be. I mean, I had somebody tell me, you know, uh, you know, in fact, there was an umpire in, uh, in a softball league and I just said hello and we got to talk and he says, yeah, man, we go all over the country. He says, we got to win that scholarship. He said, we go to, uh, Chicago or to Illinois and to the Northeast. I'm thinking, dude, if you had saved that money, you could, you could send three or four kids to college. But they're, you're living out their dream for their kids. Can I just say, your kid's destiny is not yours to decide. Your child's destiny is not theirs to decide. God determines our destiny. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. He died. He died so those of us who live would no longer live for ourselves. But for him. And so just understand, and this is, this is hard to understand, but you need to understand that God decided that. In fact, turn to Psalm 139 real quickly. Psalm 139, you're familiar with this passage, but it's an important verse. Psalm 139, uh, verse 16, uh, King David talking about his life says this. Listen to verse 16. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. And then watch what he says. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. All the days ordained for me. By the way, the Hebrew word, I don't usually do Hebrew. The Hebrew word is yatsar. It means formed, fashioned, or planned. God decided. David understood. God decided what I was going to do. And so understand that it is God that determines our destiny. But there's another principle that's extremely important. Not only does God understand or not only does God determine our destiny... But God also designed you to fulfill your destiny. Look up in verse 13 of Psalm 139. David writes, you created my inmost being. You knit me together 
in my mother's womb. And so here's what he was saying. David, David understood. He said, listen, when, when I was conceived in my mother's womb, at the moment of conception where God, when God was there and God put my chromosomes, he matched up these chromosomes and all this science and biology that goes with it and all the genetics. But he says, God fashioned me and he designed me because God knew what my days were going to bring. And we need to understand that we are designed perfectly by God to do what God's determined in advance that we're going to do. That's the way creation works. And it just, every, every creature God made has its purpose. And every creature God's made has its reason for it. And that's why it's designed the way it is. Yesterday we were painting the, the uh, Carly Ann and I were painting her, her car for uh, for the Iwana Grand Prix, and we're you know Lisa had Bailey, and they were doing their thing. You know, they had, I think they, I don't know if they were still at Cypher now. I think they had left. But anyway, and so I've got Carly Ann, and we found a ladybug, and she gets this ladybug, and she can't find her basket, so she gets a cup, and she gets a rock for it to crawl on, and some grass for it, and and she puts it in there, and so we have Dot the ladybug. We didn't check on her today, but we had Dot. I don't know if it's a he or she, but we had Dot the ladybug. And I thought, did you know that ladybug is? Designed by God specifically to do what God wants it to do. And we had this discussion this morning. What does a ladybug do? Do you know what a ladybug does? They eat aphids. Bunches and bunches and bunches of aphids. And God designed them for that. And God designed them for kindergarten girls to love. (laughs) Perfectly designed. Pretty red, got the dots. I mean, just made by God. To accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And, and what I'm saying is you, every single one of you, every single one of us, we are made. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship. We are, we are God's craftsmanship. He has put his hands around us and he shaped our personality and our life experiences and everything about us. It. it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Look at that. Which, to do work which God prepared in advance for us. And so what you need to understand, all of us, what I need to understand, students, what you need to understand is that God determined the destiny of your life and God has designed you for your destiny. And our sins accepted were exactly what God wants us to be. Exactly. And the reason you're the way you are is because God knows what he wants you to do. When I was a youth pastor way back years ago, we won't even talk about how long, I remember reading this story about a little girl and when she was born. When she got old enough to understand, she realized she had brown eyes and she wanted blue eyes. And she came to know Christ, but she was always disappointed. And she would go, God, why didn't you give me blue eyes? God, why do I have to have brown eyes? Everybody's got brown eyes. Well, she grows up. God calls her to missions and sends her to a native tribe. And when she gets there, she realizes if you have blue eyes, they believe you to be demon-possessed. And the only way she could have an audience with the natives was with brown eyes. And so when God shaped her in her mother's womb, and he gave her those chromosomes, and he gave her those genes, he gave her brown eyes in her mama's womb. So when she went to the mission field as an adult, She could do exactly what God had determined for her to do. 
And you need to understand, and I need to understand, that God knows what He wants you to do, and so God has designed you just like you are because He wants you to do what He's called you to do. And then there's one third principle. God determined our destiny. God designed us for destiny. And then number three, we have to discover our destiny. We have to discover what God has for us. The one thing I've never found, there's no verse. There's no verse in here that says, this is my plan for you. Not for me. There's not a verse in there that says, this is what Mike Phillips is supposed to do. Never found it. I've never got an email. I've never got a phone call. I've never got a letter from God that says, Mike, this is what I want you to do. I've never opened it up and said, oh, this verse is, it has my name on it. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you know what is in there? There is a verse. Listen to what it says. You know it. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Listen to what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. So listen. You'll never get an email. You'll never get a call. You'll never get a verse that says, you're supposed to go here and do this. You never will. But the one who knows his plans for you, the one that determined them, the one that designed you for them, he knows exactly what he's planned for you. And if you will get to know him, and if you will walk with him, And if you and I will follow him, then we can know exactly what it is that he wants us to do. And so we have to discover God's destiny for our life. And the issue is we have to put ourselves in situations and we have to put ourselves in opportunities where we can come to know him and his plan and his purpose and his destiny for our life. We've got to know our destiny as a parent, as an adult. I need to know my destiny, but number two, as an adult, I need to prepare my kids for theirs. Think about, think this with me for just a minute. We want to, I mean, I got two kids, kindergarten, sixth grade. Man, I want them to have, I want them, I want them to have, get a good job one day. I want them to live in a good place one day. I want uh, one way day down there, I want my girls to have a good husband. I want them to have a good life. You know, I want all those things for them. Just like you want all those things for your kids, and we should. We should want the best for our kids. But we should also be passionate about God's destiny for our kids as well. But imagine, I mean, think about this. We want them to have a good wife, a good husband, a good life, a good job, a good future, a good career. But imagine, what about... Helping them discover God's destiny for them. I mean, if you're a parent like me and your kids have played ball or they've, or they've uh, been in academics or they've been in the arts, remember what it's like. Remember what it's like when you're at the field and your kid scores the winning points. Or your child, that's my boy. Hey, that's my boy. Or she gets the winning hit. You're like, that's my girl. Or they walk across the stage and they get the award for whatever it is. And you're going, wow, man, that is all. And there's, there's, you're proud, aren't you? Come on, you're, you're proud, aren't you? Sure you are. So am I. I mean, we're, God made us that way. But I want you to imagine with me. I want you to think with me. Out into the future. 
Because one day your kid, one day your grandkid, one day all of us, but our kids are going to stand in the presence of the majesty on high. We're going to stand before what the Bible says, the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. All of our kids, all of us, we're going to go and we're going to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus. I want you to imagine with me, your kid that got the big hit, that made all A's, that won the scholarship, that whatever, you know, that you're proud of. But they're standing in the presence of God. They're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ at judgment. And however this is going to work, and I don't know how it's going to work, but they're standing before Jesus, and Jesus looks at them, and he evaluates their life. He audits their life, and he says to your kid, well done. I had a destiny for you, and you did what I called you to do. How would that make you feel as a parent to know that your kid became exactly what God wanted them to be? Imagine what that would be like. Because it can happen. It should happen. But it won't happen unless like that mother eagle, we do whatever it takes to help our kids discover their destiny for their life. And so here's what I want to ask you, mom and dad, grandparent. What are you doing in your family to prepare your kids for their destiny? What are you doing? What are we doing? What am I doing? And and I've been soul searching. What are we doing to equip our kids? So when they stand before God, they'll get a well done, good and faithful servant. Because I'm telling you, I honest, I looked at my own life, a lot of what I'm doing with my family, a lot of what I'm doing with my time, five years ain't going to matter. Ten years ain't going to matter. We were cleaning out the garage the other day. I got a box of trophies. I weaned all the little ones, the average ones, out years ago. I just kept one little box, all the, all the awards I won. You know, I won this and won that. Can I tell you something? Doesn't mean squat. Don't even, they don't even sit on a shelf for anybody to see. So here's the thing. What are you pouring into your kids' life? What are we pouring into our families' life? What are we pouring into the lives of those that we influence? It's going to matter forever. I mean, what is it that you're doing? I mean, get, go home today and get out your calendar. Go home today and get out your checkbook. Look at this stuff you're doing and say, is this going to matter in 25 years? Is this going to matter in 100 years? Because I'm telling you, if it doesn't, should we be doing it? Here's what I think. I think in every one of our life, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a leader in our family, as a leader in our ministry, we need to ask four questions. Is there some stuff I should stop doing? Is there some stuff 
I should do a lot less of? Are there some things I should start doing? And are there some things I should do more of? When you look at your family, when you look at your future, when you look at your kids and what you want for them, not today, not next month, not next year, but when they stand in the presence of the majesty on high, when you look at what you want for them then, and I look at what I want for mine then, what should I be doing now? Because I promise there's some stuff in my house that needs to change. Just does. And I suspect there's some stuff at yours. What do you need to stop? What do you need to do less of? What do you need to start? And what do you need to do more of? Those are good questions. If this is true, if God has determined our destiny, and if, if our destiny matters, if one day we're going to stand, and one day our kids are going to stand, and one day our grandkids are going to stand, and one day the kids we teach in Sunday school, or the kids we lead in the water, or the students that are in our youth ministry, if one day they're going to stand in the presence of the majesty on high, then this matters. And so we need to ask the questions, the hard questions. Dad, you need to ask, what do I need to stop? What do I need to stop? Mom, you need to ask, what do I need to stop? What do I need to start? What am I doing to prepare them for that moment when they stand before the God of the universe? And so my homework for you this week, before you come back next week, and you need to come back next week, is to ask, what do I start? What do I stop? What do I do more of? What do I do less of? You ought to ask it now. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? All over the auditorium. No one's moving around. No one's, no one's just moving. Just, just listen for just a minute. What does God, what does God need to change in you to prepare them for what he has for them? Students, what does God need to change in you so you'll know what he wants you to do. Adults, what do we need to change in our own lives so that we'll know what God wants us to do? See, God knows the plans he has. If we can get our kids to him, if we can get ourselves to him consistently and faithfully, he'll show them, he'll show us what we need to be. And so I would just pray this morning, and I would just ask you this morning to do some soul searching, just honestly. What do you need to do to prepare your kids for their destiny? What do you need to do to prepare your grandkids? What do you need to do to prepare the kids in your ministry to become what God wants them to be? Father, I pray that you would have your will and your way in every person's heart this morning. God, I pray that you'd, as a parent, Lord, I'm convicted. I've been convicted. You showed me some things. God, I just, I pray for our parents. Our kids are going to go into a culture. They're going out that door in a minute into a culture that's in crisis. It's postmodern, post-Christian. And God, they need to be ready. And it's our job to give them the opportunities to get ready. So I pray.
that you speak into every person's life this morning. Speak into every person's heart. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together for just a moment. Uh, they're going to play softly, maybe sing a little bit. If you need to make a public decision for Christ, if you need to come and pray for your family, if you need to come and put some stuff at the altar and say, God, I need to put this down, I need to pick this up, then you ought to do that. But if God's, God's stir in your heart, don't say, well, I'll do it later. Decide today. So as they play, if you need to make a public decision, join our church to be saved, whatever it is, I want to invite you to come as they leave.